the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live. YouTube.com slash cover three. Thanks to all of you that are joining us. Uh, we do have some questions from the big old bag of mail to tackle. We have some current events as well. If you want to make sure that you never miss a live show uh, or even just if, if you want to show your support for the cover three podcast, go to YouTube.com slash cover three, subscribe and hit that bell for notifications so that you know when we go live. If you were listening on the audio forum, thanks as well. A reminder, one of the best ways to get questions into a future mailbag episode is going to be to leave a five-star review. In that review, put your mailbag question. We will add it to the big old bag of mail for a future mailbag episode. Uh, We will be, by the end of here, uh, giving out some Super Bowl picks. Why? Well, because we're a football podcast and we know all these players and we watch and we're Americans, and we have thoughts <laughs> and opinions on the Super Bowl, just like uh, the guy or gal in the cubicle three, you know, three spots down the way, or your boss, family members, whoever. So uh, we're going to get those out as well. But as we begin here, shortly after 11 a.m. Eastern time, it is now 10 a.m. Central time in Birmingham, and why that's important is that means that Brian Harson is sitting uh, in a room in a meeting of the SEC head football coaches representing. Auburn University. A fascinating development that he has already been photographed walking in. He is there and he is representing Auburn University. I look, we we can get into um, the new employee duty to cooperate policy, which was just recently instituted and is a hilarious, um, a, a subjectively, not objectively, subjectively hilarious development in this story. But I, I just want to start this conversation with, are you surprised that Brian Harson made the trip to Birmingham and that he is sitting in that meeting with SEC head football coaches where, oh my, to be a fly on the wall and hear those conversations. But are you surprised that we've gotten to this point where he is still the, uh, the head coach? Yeah. <laughs> Somewhat surprised. I mean, like, no, you have to think if they had him, if they had enough to get him out right now for cause, they would. Correct. So my read through this is either they are continuing to try to gather things for cost or for cause, uh, or they're sort of just kind of, do I really want to pay this? Like, I know it's probably either going to Uncle Sam uh, or a write-off through, you know, through, through my school, but does it really work that way all the time? How much can you actually, you know, put through Tiger Unlimited? Uh there's some complications there, I think. I, I'm not surprised. I mean, I we, we've been expecting it, and I think it's going to happen, but I'm not surprised simply because, like you're just kind of saying, like they want to fire him for cause so they can get out of paying the buyout. But they have no cause other than we don't like the recruiting class and players transferred, which there's really nothing that says that's cause to fire him. That's just he's not doing a good job. We want to fire him, but you're going to have to pay him based on the contract you gave him and how it was worded. So... I'm not surprised because like you you go back to what happened to Tennessee with Jeremy Pruitt, there was cause like they were able to do like they had those NCAA violations. They were able to turn in and do it. And I'm guessing Auburn's probably digging for some stuff like that, that they could find themselves. And hopefully that works. But you know, when Harson's been on vacation, you can't really do the investigation that you want to do. So it's hard to really come to a conclusion there or find cause because there's been a lot of rumors and message board stuff, but there's really not a lot of concrete stuff that says, okay, this is why we have to fire him. 
So is it a week ago, our outgoing president um, says we are trying to separate facts from fiction. Uh, then it is reported by Pete Thamel and others that this investigation has been expanded. We are expanding our investigation. We are talking to former coaches. We are talking to former players. We are continuing to try to expand this investigation. And yet, Bud, as you mentioned, there is no development. Now, I mentioned the employee duty to cooperate policy uh, just a little bit ago. This is a, a new... Um, a new bit of policy which compels uh, university employees to cooperate fully with any kind of investigation. It was effective February 8th, two, two days ago. Days ago <laughs> we have put in a new policy, and the reason why it is important is because, and I want to make sure I read this, the under the sanctions, which is Section 8, violations of this policy may result in disciplinary action up to and including termination. Uh-huh. And was that if, just, if they fire him for this February 8th policy? There's no way in uh, hell that holds up in court. No way in hell. You can't post, you can't, you know, post ex post facto or whatever the hell. I can't remember the Latin term for it, but you can't make the rule after you sign it and then hold the person accountable for it. I mean, lawyer, help me out here. Like what's, what yeah. is, because I'm sure you've read the the policy in and of itself. I, I gave a very, very quick, if I was wrong on any of the a dummy, dummy explainer of it, please correct me. But like, what's your read on if any of this is actionable as it pertains to Brian Harson? All right, so like quick 90-second thing on this. All, almost all companies have a duty to cooperate with investigations policy. CBS has one. Uh, I, I'm sure Auburn has one and had one. I don't really buy the idea that they secretly got rid of it so that Bruce Pearl didn't have to cooperate with, with their investigation, although he didn't cooperate. Uh, I, they probably have a, a bit of an out with like, hey, if there's an ongoing criminal investigation, you don't have to cooperate. That's probably what Pearl used because, remember, there was the whole FBI thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I read this as an update to the policy. Uh, they were probably looking for ways for cause and like, hey, like, do you think we can get them for duty to cooperate? This is just my opinion here. And I said, well, let's make sure the policy is strong. It could also be used to coerce people to turn over uh, personal cell phone records or personal emails if they believed that company business, if they, you know, they had reasonable suspicion that company business was being conducted on those devices or, or communication channels. Tom, no, I don't think it would hold up in court, especially since you dropped it a day before the guy came back uh, from vacation uh, when it was scheduled to end anyway. Uh, it could actually, though, if you wanted to and you wanted to get out of paying the initial uh, down payment of $9 million, I think there's a possibility that it could be a delay. If you wanted to cite that, it could be potentially a delay tactic, right, where you have to take you to court for that. Um, would it hold up? I doubt uh, that was personally. the Kevin Kevin Ollie, the men's basketball coach at UConn, fought it in court, and then all of a sudden UConn found itself with a big old lump sum payment due about thirty days after the initial ruling, and their hope was that it would hold up, and it was a delay tactic. But the bill's going to come due eventually. Is Auburn really doing the "I ain't got it now"? Do whatever you can to get a delay. Like I'm, a, I'm gonna reach out to the IRS and I'm gonna tell you that I ain't got it, and that I need to like file the dummy return or the extension or, or try to figure something out. I mean this. This is um, it, it. It is remarkable. It is. It is truly remarkable that we've gotten to this point. Do you? What is? What is Auburn thinking? Like, is there? How about this? Is Auburn actually going to bring Brian Harson back for the twenty twenty two season? No. I mean, how I can so. you at this point? Like, what? Imagine that work environment. Like, like, just think of how it is right now at those coach meetings. What people are probably talking about while in there. Now, imagine Brian Harson shows up to spring practice, and everybody's got to pretend like, yeah, no, this is fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> we just, you know, we got into a fight. We're all past it now. We're moving on. No, there's no way in hell he's going to be coaching the first game of the season. It's just a question of Auburn's trying to figure out how much it's going to pay how much it can get rid of. Maybe they can come to a settlement, something. They're going to fire him. It's just they're doing everything they can in their power to try to save as much money as possible while doing it. That's my read on it, too. Um, and, and I would. I, I like. We may not like the reasons, uh, but I don't see the recruiting getting any better. Bama's won a title in the last couple of years. LSU's won a title in the last couple of years. Georgia, another team they play on an annual basis, has won a title like in the last month. Uh, and, of course, A&M just put together the number one recruiting class of all time. They have no juice on the recruiting trail right now. I don't think the staff he hired was equipped to recruit the SEC. Uh, to me, like, I, 
look, we can say that their boosters and, and, and admin are potentially a mess and may have jumped the gun here as far as they're like, hey, let's get them out. Oh, it's not for cause. Uh, let me let me see what I got here. It might be pulling like I got to run to the ATM move, right? Uh, we, we we've all probably done that before. Um, but I, it's very difficult for me to see him coaching Auburn this fall, given all the swirling. Like now they have to go out and get a new OC as well. Right. It'll be their sixth OC. He has six wins there, or their sixth coordinator overall. Uh, Derek Mason left and took a four hundred thousand dollar pay cut to do so Mm -hmm. Um, like clearly things aren't good there it doesn't mean the way Auburn is going about this is right I don't really feel bad bad for Harson because if there's no cause he's going to get a huge fat check I do kind of feel for the GAs and the guys in the back offices who who, you know aren't making $500,000 and wonder if they're going to have jobs come this fall like that's that's kind of who really gets hurt in this in addition to you know the, the the students who do you think they're going to get to replace him at this point, though? Because, like, Jeff Grimes. I, but we talked about, like, we Chip and I talked about this a little bit on Monday. Part of the reason they want to move on is the recruiting, because it's not what they want it to be. But, like, there's kind of a curve you have to grade in the SEC in that, yeah, okay, great, top 20 class, top 10 class, that's great. But if you're fourth in your own division, being in the top 10 doesn't really matter. The truth is, if you're going to win the SEC consistently and win national titles, You've probably got to be a top five recruiting class year in and year out. Who's the coach that comes in right now that's available that can do that for Auburn? Yeah, I don't know that there is one that immediately jumpstarts it, uh, but I think if you look at the comments that the guys you transferred out made about the inability uh, to relate to players from certain backgrounds in the South, I think he's toast there, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like those comments are going to be believed, I believe, at high school's that those kids went to and, you know, back in their neighborhoods. So I, you may not have somebody who knocks out of the park recruiting wise, but I think there is reason to believe it would be an upgrade recruiting wise. Do you think that Jeff Grimes is, um, is, is sort of the, if, if you could guess or bet the name that all the power players are throwing them out amongst each other on the group cha- on the group chats and, and when they're getting together and when they're meeting and, and when they're trying to plot out the next steps, the, believing that this will end with them getting their way and Brian Harson being out when it comes time for offering a suggestion uh, or <laughs> requesting or demanding, depending on the level of influence that you have. Do you think that Jeff Grimes is the the popular name? And, and by the way, uh, Baylor offensive coordinator, who, as we mentioned, did a fantastic job with uh, the Bears defense transition from 2020 struggles to 2021 success. Uh, you go to the New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, he was at BYU before that, but he also was at Auburn uh, as an offensive line coach earlier in his career. Do you is that do you get the sense that that's the name that's sort of the leader uh, or at the top of the leaderboard? I, I don't know if he's a leader or not. I, I I do believe that Auburn is probably going to do the the sort of rebound thing to where if you were go if you were offensive you go defensive right if, if the reason you're you're firing a guy is because he, he didn't didn't understand Auburn's culture and didn't understand Auburn then all of a sudden you rebound and you and you get a guy who who's been at Auburn which I don't think they need to do to be clear like just because you made a bad hire in Brian Harson who doesn't understand how to recruit in the South does not mean that everybody who has never coached at Auburn should be DQ'd from the coaching search. I'm sure they'll look at Kevin Steele. I'm sure they'll look at Hugh Freeze, uh, who has never been at Auburn to my knowledge, but obviously like he gets it on what you have to do to recruit well in in the Southeast. You know, like there's things you got to do, right? NIL that thing. So uh, those would be kind of the three I would off the top of my head, uh, I, I would think. I'm just trying to think of a historical reference for somebody who staged a coup, lost, and then still got it like a year later. <laughs> Do you have one? No, not off the top of my head. I'll spend time thinking about it. Okay. Because I've got one. I'm not going to say it, but I'll send it to the group chat. <laughs> is if, if Kevin Steele days – he was introduced officially as Miami's defensive coordinator, I think, on Tuesday or Wednesday? Yeah, like earlier this week, yeah. If he bounces and and then ends up landing uh, landing at Auburn after after as you mentioned uh, Tom uh, all of that time that would be a very very interesting way to go about this and to my knowledge we 
Brian Harson has multiple staff positions that still need to be filled out, or is it just offensive coordinator? Uh, it's both coordinators, I thought. Or did they hire Mason replacement? I thought, yeah, uh, uh, Jeff, uh, um, Jeff, uh, Jeff's getting. Oh, okay, I missed that. Uh, so yeah, at least the OC, and I don't know about position coaches. I can't say I've been paying super close attention to that. Jeff Schmetting. Uh, yeah, they they had that just a little bit after uh, a little bit after the news of Derek Mason going to Oklahoma State, and as you mentioned, the four hundred thousand dollar pay cut uh, comment in the from the chat. You know what do what do you think about it? I think that I think that it is incredibly um, indicative of the the message that's being sent all across all across uh, the SEC when a respected voice like Derek Mason decides to p- take a pay cut to leave. Then you're you're looking back at the staff and wondering why he might want to do that. Sorry, I was too busy laughing at what Bud texted us. <laughs> Just not keep it together. <laughs> we, we, we agree that's probably not something we want to say on the. No, but uh, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> Solid. Um, all right. Any anything else here on the the Auburn? Like what what are we looking for? Like what's the? Are we just sitting around waiting for Auburn to fire him? Are we going to go into? I mean, you got to put together a spring practice schedule at some point. I mean, there are. Yeah. There's a calendar that is running. Um, oh, I did want to get this out here. So can I can I pitch you very quickly on the one path? It was one quote from TJ Finley, Auburn quarterback, who I do believe presented, at least from a PR standpoint, the path back for Brian Harson to actually be the head coach. TJ Finley made a comment where he said, you know, we're all trying to get better uh, every single year. Coach Harson is trying to be a better coach now than he was in year one. And if everyone saw you know, what we saw, then they wouldn't be talking like this. There, there is a path. I don't know if Brian Harson's willing to come out and be like, well, I need to improve. Like, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be willing to, to throw himself down uh, quite like that, especially the way that he's handled things so far reportedly. But the, the path back in my eyes is that it took me a year to really learn what it takes here in the SEC, but you know the players rally behind him, and and they know that he wants to be better, and he has that team meeting, and we have this open conversation, and everything's great. I mean, this is so different than well, not very different, but this is um, you know when we have coaches that are embattled, whether reasons of scandal, whether reasons of player relations. We always have that what? We had an open conversation, right? Like Kirk Ferentz came and had the open conversation and Gary Patterson had the open conversation. Like if Brian Harson emerges and the team's behind him, we had an open conversation and I'm trying to get better. To me, that is the only possible path that I see that has Brian Harson coaching in 2022. Another Brian did it too. Brian Kelly, remember? Like he yeah. started doing yoga and he started eating meals with the players and he – he turned like a different shade of purple on the sidelines, like, like a, a lighter shade. Um, and like, like that kind of worked for him. I, ultimately, like this is kind of, I don't want to say it's a lost year, but I, I have a hard time seeing Auburn do much this year, regardless of, of who is the coach. And if I'm Brian Harris, I'm just trying to get paid out. Like it's not going to work out long-term for me at Auburn at all. Just so save just- my money. You're dug in on, on your position yes. to get as much money as possible. You don't care that this drags out because any any um, giving up anything means less money for you. So let's and you know what else? I don't want to sign that NDA. Yeah, because if I'm Brian Harson and there's no cause, and I'm really confident there's no cause, uh, I, I'm I'm not going to sign an NDA because I'm going to want to go out there and, and hit, do a press tour and clear my name too with my check. Amazing. We've been talking about Brian Harson, who might replace Brian Harson. Whether Brian Harson will be the head coach of Auburn in 2022 for mo- approximately the last eight episodes of the Cover Three podcast. <laughs> I mean, listen, Auburn's a mess, but we have to be grateful for all the content they're providing us. <laughs> they, thanks, Derek. They, they really have stepped up in a very, very big way. So we'll, hey, uh, we're keeping tabs on it. Auburn's living rent-free in my head, too, guys. So we're uh, we're, we're trying to wait and see uh, what the developments are. Uh, we will keep you up to date on the Cover 3 podcast. All right. 
let's dive into the big old bag of mail. This first question comes from Dre. Just finished listening to the National Signing Day review and will say I was a bit disappointed to hear the discussion about all the new head coaches and not really hear Mario Cristobal and Miami discussed. Miami had a class ranked in the 70s when Mario was hired, but finished with a top 15 class, highest in the state of Florida with a good average player rating. Yes, we missed out on Shamar, but this class is still a really good complement to the youth already on the roster. We still have a good shot at Josh Connerly as well, the five-star offensive tackle. Do you guys think Miami had a good day? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's only a 45-minute show, you know, and they didn't have a great signing day. They had a you know pretty decent job in the two weeks since Mario uh, was hired, right? And they, they got some guys, but they really didn't land a whole bunch of studs on signing day. So like for the sign, signing day recap show, we were primarily trying to use the events of the day to then you know, do it as a jump off point. You know, so well, as, you don't have to defend us. I mean, those are our content yeah. decisions. Let's let's they, talk, let's boost Miami. That's what the people want here. They want to hear the good yeah, stuff. Yeah, they 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 had a they had a good day, right? I mean, yeah. they they well they had had a very nice period, you know, between the early signing period and the late signing period. Um, you know, they got Cyrus Moss to jump on board. He, he was a guy who was going to go to them at Oregon. They got Nigel Lee Kelly to stay home out of Dillard. He's another potential impact defensive lineman. I'm not real high on Jaleel Skinner, so I like he's highly rated, just not one of my favorite players in the class. Um, but Trevante Citizen is a very nice back for them out of Louisiana. They, they beat out uh, Auburn and Florida and a couple other schools, you know, for him. So, like, they're doing a good job. I, ex- I expect Cristobal to absolutely kill it down there recruiting. I mean, that was – I feel like we've been pretty hot – pretty, like, high on that hire. Um, maybe not super high on how long it took him to get the coordinators down there. But, you know, I do like the guys he eventually got, at least on offense. Well, that's, we'll see about we'll see about defense. I mean, I don't think Kevin Kevin Steele can pull a coup down on, on Cristobal down there. The boosters probably don't love him like they do, you know, Mario, who, who went to high school with a lot of these boosters. So um, I think he's done a nice job. I think they're really going to kill it in this upcoming 23 cycle. But like it's not a it's not a major impact class. Like they're probably not going to look back and say, like, hey, this is the class that turned it all around for Miami. It, it's a. It's a nice class. I'm the b- best thing he did, honestly, is not take a like not load up on a ton of three stars, mm-hmm. save spots, sell playing time next year. Yeah, because that's I was gonna say, like if you look at the overall score for the class, it's not as high as it had the last few classes have been, but it's a much smaller class. And to go along the lines of you know what you've been talking about the last weeks, but a lot of new coaches now with the transfer portal are for a quick kind of turnaround, a quick kind of resets instead of just jumping in and marrying a kid for a few years. They're trying to find quick fixes in the transfer portal and not rely so much on high school players in that first early class. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing. But like you said, also, only 14 commits in the class, but 10 of them are four stars, which is a good ratio to have. So I think that it's a good class. It's not a foundational class, but I don't. The one thing about hiring Mario Cristobal that I'm never going to be worried about for any program that hires him is will they be able to recruit? Because that's, you know, one, two, and three on the list of priorities. Um, Number one, I do think that uh, Dre was right to identify the young talent on the team. Remember the best argument that Manny Diaz had for keeping his job Mm -hmm. was the fact that he was playing all these freshmen, and now those freshmen are going to be really foundational in the Mario Cristobal era to combine to be able to lean on them is something that's great. That to be able to have a solid class before you bring in Josh Gaddis, who I think could really become one of your strongest. Uh, recruiting assistant coaches, somebody who's very, very important in being able to build that out. Uh, so to do that before Gaddis even arrives, Gaddis even arrive, even arrives, I think was very, very impressive. And uh, and I need to also ask one thing: the uh, the South Florida Crypto Bros would never let Kevin Steele get away with that, right? No. Yeah, Definitely I mean, the, I, I just think that I like, was explaining that to um, somebody. They were asking about Josh Gaddis leaving Michigan for Miami. I said, well. Well, you got to remember that you know, Mario's got the South Florida Crypto Bros on his side. Like we've we found access to to new money that is that has not been there before. I mean, this is why why is it unlike anything that Miami has seen from an investment standpoint? It's because we're we're, we're fully aligned, uh, and we ain't talking about dog coins here. You know, mm-hmm. we are fully aligned with the, with the good stuff. So, like, is Miami's recruiting class going to directly correlate with the price of Bitcoin? 
It's called crypto ball. That's what we call Miami football. Crypto. <laughs> oh my god! All right, that's good. Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, we gotta keep that crypto ball. <laughs> Did you just drop that on the fly, or have you been workshopping that? I, I came up with it yesterday, uh, okay. speaking with uh, Adam Gold. I don't know if you know uh, Adam Gold, uh, yeah. but I go on. He's a, on the radio all across North Carolina. I go on the show every Wednesday. <laughs> I was explaining to him where this money was coming from and he didn't know and crypto ball that's that's where it caught so i'm glad i'm glad you guys like it as well we will be tracking miami's performance alongside uh-huh. of all the uh, the valuable coins in the wallet uh all right let's take our next question all right this is we're going to stay with uh with acc teams and uh and former big east teams as well also with an eye on the recruiting trail oh two part question this one will be simple uh, great job covering National Signing Day and look forward to all the content ahead. Curious, Danny said he shot a 76 on National Signing Day. Who wins if all four of you played around? I think Danny, right? Danny. Danny. Yeah. I know who finishes last. Would that be you? Yeah. I don't okay. I don't golf, so I'll be there drinking and driving the cart. <laughs> Carefully, hopefully. <laughs> eh, we'll see. I mean, you know. I've seen, seen too many golf cart accidents to endorse just like <laughs> Uh, a total over the edge um, uh, driver situation, but I, I mean, it's Danny. I don't, I don't, um, I, I don't flirt with numbers in the seventies. So no, okay, cool. We uh, we did have the handicap committee meeting yesterday that I, I referenced and uh, uh, determined that one guy's performance, uh, the odds of him doing that, were about eleven thousand to one over the last uh, last six tournaments. Listen, somebody at your country club is so mad that a math guy showed up. Somebody at your country club has been pulling one over on all the other members in these tournaments. Then you showed up and put all these scores on a regression analysis, and you were like, wait a second. This guy's like, no, math. And it's so funny because golf is a sport where counting is the entire object of the game. But he was just really mad that someone had actually been able to, uh, to call him out on that one. Uh, hey, second part of the question. Uh, Northeast recruiting has increased over the last five to 10 years. Michigan, Ole Miss, and Notre Dame have been three programs that have started to take advantage of this growth in football in the Northeast. Curious, do you think that Jeff Halfley and Boston College could become a powerhouse in the ACC if he is able to keep this talent home, including the New Jersey, New York City area? If Halfley can sell this vision, do you think that he would pass over other Power 5 jobs to say? So number one, I think what I'm interpreting from this is, can he lock down the Northeast, make Boston College an even stronger contender on an annual basis in the ACC? And then B, if that works out, do you think that he would stay at Boston College and pass up other 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 opportunities? So like, I hate this question because it makes me answer in the negative when I'm really like a fan of everything Jeff Halfley's done at Boston College. And BC's been a pretty consistently good program for like the last, 20 years or so. Um, but I, it's still Boston College. There are still there are still tough admission standards. It's still uh, like while the talent in the Northeast may have been underscouted in some years in Michigan, a couple other programs, as you mentioned, have gone and, and, and plucked a kid here or there. Um, I don't know that the overall talent level is is that great up there to sustain uh, to where you really feel like you can go and win uh, conference titles, I'm not going to say ever, but you know, to, like consistently compete for conference titles in the ACC uh, at Boston College. I don't know if that's r- really a realistic uh, goal, even or even with Jeff Hatley there, who I think is a really good coach. And it, honestly, if, if Phil Dracovic had stayed healthy this season, I mean, who knows if, if Hatley wouldn't have got offered one of those really big jobs. He ranks pretty highly in this little metric I keep as far as early early talent identification. I mean, it's obviously not just him; it's, it's he and his staff. But they they are consistently early to offer uh, kids who end up signing with like a Georgia or a Clemson, which I, I take as a good indicator of the ability to ID talent and trust your own scouting early. Uh, but I mean, it's still Boston College. Like, there's a lot of institutional things you have to overcome there, including location, which I still don't view as a plus. Yeah, like my I. My initial reaction hearing the question was, okay, if the, the talent level's improving in the Northeast, 
compared to where it is compared to other parts of the country, even if it does, and even if Jeff Halfley is able to lock down the Northeast and you know put walls up and everybody in the New England area and the upper New York, maybe even New Jersey, goes to Boston College, I still don't know that that'd be enough to win the ACC on a regular basis. Also, how many of those kids in the Northeast are actually from the Northeast and how many go to a couple of those boarding schools up there? Possibly. So is oh, there yeah. really oh. like... Yeah, is there like, like a that regional sort of loyalty? Right, exactly. You know, it's almost like when kids go to IMG, people are like, "Oh, mm-hmm. they're all going to go to UF or Miami or Florida State." And like, well, no, actually, the research there. shows they're pretty likely to to go back to their home region. Yeah, and there's been a couple instances, like like Josh Kando was from Baltimore, Baltimore, Indianapolis, but he, he was you know from that kind of Mid Atlantic uh, slash Midwest area. Uh, I know Baltimore and Indianapolis are not right next to each other, but <laughs> neighbors. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, like you know, sort of that region of the country, and and he, you know, he decided to to not turn back home. But a lot of these kids uh, do go back to their home region when they're out of boarding school. So um, I don't know. Yeah, like Tom, that, that regionality is not necessarily built in. Yeah, when uh, it, it is often something about just talking about the ACC and about you know football and what kind of schools we're dealing with. I uh, you just got to remember that I, I always put in Boston College with Miami, with Duke, with Wake Forest, which has less than 10,000 undergraduate enrollments. Like you've just got, you mentioned institutional. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that we are talking about a, a smaller, you know, Jesuit school that has um, not as many alumni out there, not as wide of a donor base, and just um, some other challenges when it comes to really being able to mobilize in a way that bigger SEC, bigger Big Ten schools are going to be, which is why, listen, you get a Jeff Jeff Halfley, you hope he turns down other Power 5 jobs. You sell him on as much you, as many unique things as you can to be able to keep him there, but it is, uh, it is a little bit of a challenge, especially when it comes to recruiting, because so much of recruiting is resources and being able to, uh, to extend those as far as possible. Coming up on the other side, the Big Ten is among the many conferences all across the country considering the elimination of divisions. What would that mean for competitiveness, and what would that mean for the Ohio State Buckeyes? That plus our Super Bowl predictions next Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. There's a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. This next question, when you said NLDH coming, does that mean Major League Baseball? Is that an announcement? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. designated hitter will be in the National League? Mm-hmm. Does that mean we take overs for all early season games if there's a season? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it'll be priced in, but yeah. I don't we'll know. You know what? I would actually take the unders for National League games. You know why? We're going to get way off base here. But I would guess that the correction will be baked in. But the fact of the matter is most National League teams won't have a DH kind of the caliber that the American League teams have. So it might not be as potent. So I would mm-hmm. consider National League unders early in the year. What was the, What's the early season, late season for baseball? Like, it has, Isn't there a, a very like sort of simpler principle? Uh. Oh, kind of. Do, we need to see what the ball's doing. Whether the yeah, ball's. I need to see the ball. Yeah. If you guys yeah, are beating baseball, please let me know how, because I, I, I do not try. I'm decent on totals, money lines. It's... Yeah. No, I, I, I just follow Tom, and we talk totals. That's it. We just wait, is the ball juiced or is the ball not juiced? Yeah. Have the odds makers figured out whether the ball's juiced or not? Mm-hmm. It's really just about balls and juice. Well, last year they were using two different balls. Yeah. Uh, no, they last found out. Was... Like that was. So certain teams were playing with a juice ball and certain teams were not at different times of the year. It was, mm-hmm. uh, it, was, it, was uh, it was a hectic season. 
Yeah, the, the best is uh, when you're you're making totals plays based on the wind without double checking to see whether or not the park has a dome or not. So you are actually <laughs> the principle is a wonder, a classic wind aided under because you've got it blowing in from out. But the problem is it's not really blowing in from out into the you know into the plate. It's blowing in from out into like you know the section one thirteen, the doors to the outside. Was it Minute Maid you did that at? Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. One time Chip texts me and Robbie, our friend Robbie Callen, and he's like, yeah, the wind's really howling out in Houston. I'm taking the over. And we're like, bro, it's there's a roof. <laughs> Speaking of golf, uh, Ro- Robbie's a stick, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. yeah. He's, yeah he's got game. All right. Next question. Could Robbie um, beat Danny? That's my mailbag question. Ooh, he's he's put up some. uh when he goes out to Vegas and plays in Vegas, he's put up some pretty impressive numbers. I, I think that it would be a, it would be a fun thing. Though Danny also said, uh, "What's the Theragun?" Danny said yeah. he's got the Theragun for the golf course. I, I just love that to just be like, ying, 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 ying. never has pain felt so good. Uh, do you have one? <laughs> yes. This is not a free advertisement. If you want to add, holler at us. It's yes. uh, it's it's Bud Elliott CFB at gmail.com. He, right. That is the best way to be able to get advertising on the Cover 3 podcast. And that is for anyone that wants to do it. All right. Big Ten divisions. Cam asks, with the Big Ten possibly getting rid of divisions to get the best two teams to Indianapolis for the championship game, will this only help Ohio State? Obviously, Michigan will be an every year game. But if you want to give Penn State and Michigan State a chance, you wouldn't schedule them to play the Buckeyes every year. But if they did that, it would defeat the purpose. With those games off of Ohio State's schedule and adding games with Northwestern and Illinois more annually, I can only see it making it easier for Ohio State. Thoughts? I think it'll make it more difficult for Ohio State to win the Big Ten. I think that maybe in the regular season, sure, you're not having to play Michigan, Penn State, and Michigan State every single season eases it up. But when you look at the teams Ohio State tends to lose to in the regular season – it's usually the produce. It's you know what I mean. It's it's been some surprise kind of upsets, but I think the problem that Ohio State would face when they get rid of divisions is like we saw this year. Like Michigan gets to the Big Ten championship and it's facing Iowa. If Michigan gets to the Big Ten championship and it has to play Ohio State again because they're the top two teams in the conference, it's a much more difficult pass. So it's same thing with Ohio State. If they get to the title game, they might not be playing a 9-3 and three team from the West anymore. They'll probably be playing another 10-win team, whether it's Michigan, Wisconsin, Michigan State, whoever it is. So, Because that's the one, the best argument for getting rid of the divisions is to make sure you have the best matchup in your conference title game. So I think from that aspect, it'd probably make it more difficult. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I I thought about this, and, and I, I saw the text when I, I didn't have time to kind of like run the math on it, but I think Tom is probably right because while pods will make it a lot easier for teams not named Ohio State who are currently in the East Division, Ohio State does not have to play Ohio State, yep. right? And the rest of the teams in the East are slightly better usually than the rest of the teams from the West. But having to play one of those Eastern teams again in the title game, which there's also like sort of cream will rise to the top aspect uh, that like the the team that gets through all of that to face you again is probably the best team in the league where oftentimes you're not facing the best team in the league. I, I think Tom nailed it there. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So the great question from Mark in the chat, no divisions really hurts Wisconsin, Wisconsin and Iowa maybe is what you would throw in there. No divisions hurt the Western powers more than anybody. Yeah. yeah. Because it's not, quite the same trip to the Big Ten Championship in Indianapolis that they get now. Like this year, the Big Ten Championship game, if you get rid of divisions, obviously the schedules would have been different, but Iowa would not have been in the game. It would have been a Michigan-Ohio State rematch, and probably Michigan State would have been the team in third place. So Iowa might have been in fourth place looking up at a few teams if it had to pass, and Wisconsin went six and three, so they would have never even been close. I have, I don't know if we've ever like stated our um... – whether we are fans of it, but divisionless football pod system, like is it sort of thumbs up in terms of you as a, as a college football fan analyst and, and all the other hats we wear in this sport? I like the pod system and divisionless football simply because it allows, it makes you feel like you're in a conference. Like the fact of the thing is like, since we've expanded to 14 teams in the sec, the ACC and the big 10, the conferences themselves are the divisions. You know what I mean? Like, you look at Georgia and Alabama, they play in Atlanta for the SEC championship game, but they're playing in the regular season, what, like every 12 years? 
Mm-hmm. It's like that's you're, if you're in the same conference, you should not have to wait 12 years to play somebody in your conference. It should be two to three years at most. I mean, Tom, look at the uh, the Georgia and uh, Texas A&M mm-hmm. series so far. Do you know the last time that Georgia played in College Station? 1912. Yeah, is it before SEC? <laughs> no, it's never happened. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say. Yeah, like they, 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 they played in 2009 conference. in the yeah. Independence Bowl. That was about the closest they got geographically. Oh, 1953 in Dallas, they played a neutral site game. Um, so, yeah, like I'm fine with divisions back when you had 10 teams in a league, right? Or, mm-hmm. or 12 maybe with a nine-game schedule, but – Pods, I, I really do think is, is better. It's something that, that you know. Well, we had Bill on, but like a lot of us have been writing about this for, for a long, long time, time. Um, and it's it's a necessary evil as we expand. I'm, I like divisions, but it's, I'm, yeah, I'm not, but- not going to miss them. How about this? I I like divisions. I like the idea of of continuing to you know make the competition and and draw the focus smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, I think it engages fan bases in that, you know, was it like a one, one third of the FBS is probably going to finish between six and eight wins. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like a third of college football are perfectly fine college football teams. And some of those perfectly fine college football teams are not going to be anywhere close to sniffing a conference championship in a divisionless format, but you've still got the, four-way Big Ten West tiebreaker scenario. We've still got the seven teams could potentially be in the mix for the Mountain West Championship on the final week of the regular season. But to say goodbye to that in exchange for getting to see these opponents more often, that's an exchange I'm willing to make. So I, and- I, I like divisions for some of that like fun late-season drama, but that's the only thing that it really does for me. But I still think you'll see... M- mostly the same amount of drama without the divisions when it comes to those top two spots instead of just trying to finish first in your division. As far as the familiarity thing, I, I hear that and I understand that, but I also feel like at the same time, if you look at, if you're any school right now in one of those major conferences in the division, how many real rivals do you have? Well, the head coaches also are turning over so often that you don't mm-hmm. even have a chance to really develop it. Like Jimbo Fisher is one of the longest tenured head coaches in the SEC right now. Mm-hmm. And the, so, what, like, there are very few fan bases out there who truly—I don't know, I'll use the word—who truly hate like three more than three other schools. You know what I'm saying? Tennessee so like, will be one of the schools that bitches like crazy or that complains like like crazy about this because they they think they have rivalries with more teams than they do. Than they do. Uh, Auburn honestly might be another one. Like Auburn, Florida is a very traditional SEC rivalry, which has largely been killed by the mm-hmm. move to 14 team SEC. Uh, Auburn LSU, we've had the earthquake game. Like that's one that I think some of their fans think is a rivalry. Obviously, the Iron Bowl is a real rivalry. They play Georgia every year. Uh, that to me is legitimately a rivalry. Um, and you know, Auburn Tennessee is one that they used to play all the time. And obviously, since divisional play has started, they they can't. So I like there, we will have some fans of certain teams that are going to be really annoyed, um, but you will still get those games more often and probably better games. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like in the ACC, Florida State fans hate these divisions because their their closest geographic team, a team they've played for a long time before divisional uh, play came about, was Georgia Tech. It's very drivable for a lot of their fans, right? Or it's a a pretty quick flight to Atlanta. And now they only go there, you know, what, once every – Six Eight or 12, 12 years. years. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think in most leagues, we will not see fans get too upset about this. Nor will you have to see North Carolina and Wake Forest scheduling non-conference games against each other anymore. Yeah. Oh, they could if they wanted. Like, if they want to make that they an wanted, annual, yeah. you know. But I'm sure, but, like, in a pod system, I would guess Wake and UNC might be in the same pod. Maybe. I don't know. Probably. Mm-hmm. Could get grouped with uh, UVA and Virginia Tech. I don't know. We don't need to go into ACC. Yeah, somebody up there by you is going to uh, um, going to be angry. I think. I don't we know can't. who it'll be, but somebody who's going to get left out of the tri- like like left out of the triangle. There's four. There's four Carolina schools in the ACC, right? Off the top of my head, Wake, NC State, North Carolina, Duke. Correct. You can't figure out a way to just have all th- those four. There's three pods. I'll be them, and then work around it from there. Do you know who? All right. So this. Is 
Is that a competitive pod? No, but it's a regionality kind of interest. Oh, and the pod. pod is just for scheduling, so it's not like where yeah. you don't get you don't get your pod championship. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Where would you throw Clemson? With Georgia Tech and. I think I would give them yeah Georgia Tech, Florida State, and Miami. I don't know if that would. Uh, that would probably not go over well with any of those schools because, no. like, you're you're getting your your three or four best recruiters in the conference by far, with UNC being the other, in one one pot. So the the north end is easy, right? We go Boston College, Pitt, Syracuse, and uh, who who it one who, of the Virginias, Vatech, and then you may, yeah. maybe you make UVA protected as as, as Vatech's cross division. I don't know. I'm. I am glad I am not in the scheduling business um, because uh, no, no one ever, no one ever looks at their schedule and they're like, yeah, "Man, they crushed it. This is awesome. This is the best thing ever." Uh, but I, I do agree that we are probably trending towards that uh, more. And we talk about the pods, but I, I don't even know if the average fan is going to get it. They're just going to believe we're in divisionless football. And some years we play these teams, some years we don't. So. Something you could also go protected rivalries. You know what I mean? Like like pods is sort of a catch-all term, but mm-hmm. you could do a thing where, hey, like we're going to play four protected games each year in the ACC, and we will play four non non-protected rotating uh, opponents, right? So where you're playing every, you're, you're going to play every team home and away every four years. Got it. Uh, all right. So there is a a big game. Coming up this weekend, it is Super Bowl 56, the Cincinnati Bengals against the Los Angeles Rams. The game is in SoFi Stadium in L.A. We have, for the second time, two number one overall uh, pick quarterbacks facing off against each other. The last time was in the 2015 season. Peyton Manning defeats Cam Newton. Uh, this time, of course, we have uh, Matthew Stafford going up against Joe Burrow. We we have covered Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase uh, and that LSU team's rise intimately here on the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, Stafford, a little bit before the time when we got off and rolling, uh, even in our previous iterations, shout out to those of you who were around for the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, who were around for the SEC on CBS Podcast, who were around for the Eye on College Football Podcast, and who were around for the very, very creatively named uh, CBS Sports College Football Podcast, hosted by Chip Patterson back in 2012. Uh, So, as we look ahead to this game, uh, I wanted to, first of all, just open it up. Is Is there anything that you've got about your watching interests that you're excited about, or you can take us right into the predictions where if you want to give uh, a, a pick against the spread, a total, a prop, anything like that. We give away locks all the time for all kinds of events, and so we have got to get in on this just like everybody else with uh, with some Super Bowl locks here on the Cover 3 podcast. I got the under when the line was first posted. It was opened at like 50, which is where I got it. It is down to 48 and a half. I don't hate that. At this point, but I I would much rather be where I was on the other side of that 49. So that's really as far as like standard kind of bets. That's really the only thing I had any interest in in this one, because the spread to me is just it's it hasn't moved for a reason. Oh, listen, I think that the four Joe Burrow with four and a half is the most fun bet that you can have. It's four now, but yeah. You know, or the, it might move back to four and a half or maybe you buy the hook. But the the idea that you are taking um this this talent who is on the cut who has already like accomplished incredible things for this only being his second year in the season everything that we have so- seen from him during his Heisman Trophy winning season the idea that this is going to be close and that even if it's I mean what was it 21 to three 21 mm-hmm. to three yeah this I think the most fun you could have is probably with like a Bengals plus four and a half, because even if the more likely outcome, the Los Angeles Rams winning because Aaron Donald and Von Miller absolutely wreck the game and maybe even make it unwatchable in a way that Tom's uh, under ends up cashing. I think that for the the potential late, the potential for late game heroics with was it? like six straight playoff games have been decided by one score or late in the game with a couple of them even going to overtime. If you think that trend is going to continue and if you want to root for that trend to continue, I think the most fun you can have is Bengals plus four and a half. I did play one thing so far, uh, and I don't bet a lot of NFL. This is just from a buddy who who does and is, is fairly good. Um, Two-point conversion, yes. 
uh, like successful two point conversion uh, converted anything over 200. I, I, I took some 225. That's it. No more. No, Tom, you got any other props? I've got a few props. Yeah. Uh, this one, I got this early too. It's come down. I was not alone in this thought process because there's been a whole lot of talk about like the Bengals offensive line being terrible and the Rams defensive front. It's like, oh my God, Joe Burrow's got to die. I went the different direction. It's like, how is Joe Mixon going to be able to run the ball? Because if you go back to the NFC championship game, that's essentially what the Rams did. They know that San Francisco kind of does everything it does on offense based off its run game. So they took away the run game, and San Francisco could not run on them, and it kind of impacted everything. And I think that they're going to have a similar kind of approach to this one. So I took the Joe Mixon under 64.5. It's about 61.5, 62 most places now. Still still like it. Uh, another one is Matthew Stafford over half an interception. I mean, uh, he's at least going to throw – a potential interception, whether or not that interception yeah, is I don't know if, As long as there's no Jaquiski tarts out there. But, I mean, yeah. Stafford just throw. he's got a lot of effort in him. He, he, he makes, like, multiple times per game, he will make a throw where you're like, bro, what the hell are you doing? But he does enough good where it makes up for the rest of it. But I do think that that's going to happen. Plus, he's thrown interceptions in 12 of 21 games this year and, and five of the last seven. And he should, you know, he threw one in the last game where he should have. And then another prop I like, this is kind of speculative more than anything. Cooper Cup to score two touchdowns or more. I got it at plus 280. Uh, including the playoffs, the Bengals have allowed 23 red zone touchdown passes this season or, you know, one per game. And no player in the NFL has caught more red zone touchdowns than Cooper Cup or been targeted more often in the red zone than Cooper Cup. So just using that kind of math, I feel like that that's there's decent value on that. I uh, There is something I'm looking for, and I haven't found it yet. But if you could bet on a specific player to throw a touchdown pass, like a specific non-quarterback to throw a touchdown pass, um, Cam Akers can throw. He was a high school quarterback, right? Now, I mean, they ran with him most part, but like he's he's good enough. I, I've I've seen him throw like passes in practice at, at the Army All America Bowl. We also and, saw the wild cam his last year mm -hmm. at Florida State. We yeah. had all the issues, at and they never really let him throw it, which was weird. Right, right. They're not not too often, but like he he can throw the ball a little bit, and it wouldn't shock me if, if I just think they believe in him, right? To have him come back that fast from injury, and then to have him have all those fumbles against the Bucks. And just the next week, like clearly, like they believe in his physical ability. I mean, he was a five-star kid. That translates pretty well with running backs. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he had a big game. I'm just trying to figure out how to how to leverage that. I will say for those who like to do the stupid bet of the coin toss, Caesars is offering even odds on heads and tails. They're not charging any juice. So if you just want to have fun and bet the coin toss and actually have zero EV instead of negative EV, that would be where I'd do it. And I would there, tails, of course. Yeah, I, I was going to say, didn't the uh, Bills-Chiefs game bring out Tails Never Fails haters? Who cares? I, think, I don't pay attention to the haters, Chip. I think Allen called Tails, and it was wrong. And it was uh, he was like, until Allen grows up and realizes you need to make a call other than Tails Never Fails. I'm like, you have two choices. <laughs> it is a coin flip. 50-50 proposition. People, people get heated about the coin toss, man. It's like you know, the anthem. Yeah. I remember last year the anthem got voided. Yes. Oh, I did not hear that. Why? Yeah, this this TV news guy. Last year the game was in it was in Tampa, right? Yeah, the, or yes. was it two years ago it got voided. Um, this TV news guy recorded it outside the stadium uh, during during the practice session, like the day before, and it timed it. Um, that uh, I, I do usually bet the Gatorade color uh, sometime pretty close to game time. Just just on gut feel? Just what on gut any, feel. All yeah. right, any other uh, any other Super Bowl-type uh, traditions or things that you like to do? Obviously, like the social aspect of this has been a little up and down um, over the last couple of years, but um, in, anything that stand out that, uh, that you really like to dig in on? Just post up? Like, you mean just for viewing the game? Yeah, yeah viewing the game. Foods. Any 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 traditions, or is it just kind of like a a football, just a, a late a later kickoff than the afternoon? To, to, like it's not because it's right there between. It's like it's not the four o'clock window, and it's not our eight fifteen Eastern time window. Um, I, don't know. I mean, 
I don't have anything specific. Like if I if I'm somewhere and it's like a Super Bowl party, I'm not. You know, it's like grilled meats. They're always going to be good, but sometimes in the Midwest, you know, your host doesn't want to be outside grilling on a February Sunday because it's you know ten degrees. But I don't know. It's just there's nothing specific. I, I like. I'd hope for a good football game more than anything. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I don't really have traditions for it, but uh, my my son's old enough now. He's a Rams fan. Sick. Over the last three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Because he likes lifelong Rams fan. Like, I I finally, like, I'm like, man, I watch sports for a living. Like, why would I not buy a nice TV? So I finally, like, bought a nice TV, you know, and the Rams blues uh, with those HD cameras, like, when when they go the all blue, they really pop. So he's like, can we watch the blue team? I was like, not the Gators, right? Okay. Like, yeah, the Rams. (laughs) Cool. Got it. Um, You know, because, like, they're not playing on, on Sundays. So, uh, yeah, he likes the blue team, so I'll probably watch a little bit with him. And uh, I did get some of those uh, like beef ribs, the like the ones you see on like you know in Texas. Um, so I'll probably smoke some of those. Be cool. We are uh, our our go to if we're showing up somewhere uh, is to bring like a chili mac and cheese, you know, because I want to bring like the ground beef into the cheese and the noodles and, and just really give you a whole meal for what you're probably going to have as the side or one of like five items on your plate, just kind of check all the boxes. So chili Mac and cheese is definitely our go-to food. And then uh, watching, um, watching my friends who don't take part in such activities, watching the twinkle in their eye uh, when they get involved in squares, you know, it's like the one time a year when they'll, they'll really start to like start to feel that itch. And I, I, I don't I don't force anyone into it, but I, I do enjoy sitting back and watching them be, try to root for, uh, you know, the exact score at the end of the first quarter because they're right on the cusp. And then, of course, you know, pick six, late field goal. Yeah, they they decide that they're not going to score. They're going to wait till the other side of the quarter and you end up losing that one. So I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I enjoy watching all the 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 cleaner the, the cleaner souls out there watching them uh, flirt with it uh, playing some some good old friends uh, some good old friendly game of squares uh, oh yeah I, short round just mentioned uh, this one he said what's the betting favorite for the first song played at halftime I did mention this in the uh, text to y'all because we've got Dr Dre uh, Snoop Dogg Eminem Mary J Blige Mary J Blige Kendrick Lamar you know it's going to be a medley right it's going to be California Love they're in L A yeah, or they might uh, they might close on that though. There's, I was thinking uh, still DRE because they've had it in all the yeah. promotion, and those keys are just unmistakable. Yeah. yeah, Eminem's the wild card. Where's it? What? Where's he pulling from the catalog? Is this like more recent Eminem, like the hype vi- the hype songs that he sells to ESPN to produce college football? <laughs> or are we going? Or do we just throw him? Have him come out and do uh, like forgot about Dre and just you know do something that where he's already on there? He's on that, yeah. You know, we haven't had new music from Kendrick in a while, so, but you know, probably like Loyalty or Humble, one of those like stadium bangers that already gets played in arenas and stadiums. Um, yeah. Pimp of Butterfly is probably a little too nuanced for a Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, just uh, shout out to us getting old because, you know, when you're younger, you're like, oh my gosh, like these, these acts are all washed. And yeah, then you're coming out here making predictions about which 20 or 30 year old song is going to be played at the Super Bowl halftime show. <laughs> I remember laughing at all the older sports writers when they were super excited about Springsteen playing halftime. And it's like, oh God, now the bands that I listened to growing up are playing halftime. <laughs> And that's the other thing too. Going off, like, you know, either you watch that show, Yellow Jackets. Mm-mm. No, the my sc- wife might start it. The scariest part of that show to me is the fact that this is supposed to be like a throwback to a long time ago, or not a long time ago, but you know, like the things you see where, like, when we were growing up, you'd see shows from the '60s or '70s, like Dazed and Confused, like those kind of things. Now those movies are about the era when I was in high school, and it's like, oh shit! <laughs> did you see the video I put out about about what what current recruits remember about college football? I did. Yes, it's it's depressing making that. <laughs> it's well, because, depressing as hell. Because the line that you used was the first college football superstar that a lot of today's recruits know is Cam Newton. <laughs> or we were working yeah. in this job. Yeah, when Cam I know. Newton was out. I know. Woo. And we start with Auburn, and we finish with a, an Auburn Heisman Trophy winner. That, maybe that's who Auburn should hire, Cam Newton. He's the only one that appears capable of leading him to a national title. 
he runs a good seven on seven team. <laughs> Cam for Auburn. It started here on the Cover Three podcast. That is the leader that you need. I mean, just imagine the cryptographs that you can have all across this special cam language. Oh my God. Imagine the Auburn, the, the, the lettering on the jerseys for Auburn. He'll have it all in his Instagram kind of social media font. Incredible. <laughs> uh, I, hope, I hope you all enjoy uh, the, the, the Super Bowl, and, um, and we'll, we'll keep tabs on, on the latest at Auburn and, of course, keep you in the loop as well here on the Cover 3 podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Cam for Auburn. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.